Yes, maybe. I don't know. I think people can do plenty of drinking in their own homes. <laughs> I, I mean, th this isn't the first time you and I have been on a podcast together. The last time, uh, the first. <laughs> hey, this is Dennis and Kevin, the Seacup side. We are chatting with Heather from Heather's Choice. How are you doing today, Heather? I'm doing great. I'm living the Alaskan dream, <laughs> as usual. Yeah, how's things going up there in Alaska? Oh, it's it's awesome. It's spring here, so we're excited. We're ready to start gardening and to get the boat out into Prince William Sound. I have to say, Kevin, I'm kind of surprised you haven't moved to Alaska yet. <laughs> mm, don't don't tempt me. Uh, <laughs> I am trying to have a, I ha, I'm trying to have an agreement for a cabin up there once we get done fixing up this house. So that's nice. kind of what my angle is, but we'll have to see. Um, I know I was planning on going up there this year for um, salmon, and Dennis and I were also planning a caribou hunt. Um, but I don't really know how those are going to pan out with this pandemic stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. That's where we're so freaking fortunate to be up here. Brad just went uh, up to the 40 mile area two weekends ago and got a caribou. And, you know, to be able to hunt in March, it just feels like a pretty cool opportunity that we have up here. Yeah, there's no one that has the same hunting that you got and fishing that you guys have. Nope. Nope. That's why, that's so why you, we like you it. Got, you got in one good trip before this whole thing went down? Because if I recall, weren't you on the Grand Canyon in January or something? Yeah, so we went to Sheep Show in January. I came back to Alaska for about a week, packed all my river gear, flew to Arizona, long river, and one of the last messages that Brad sent me was, hey, I think this coronavirus thing is getting kind of serious, you know, be safe. And then we were off the grid for 30 days and didn't think about it ever again. <laughs> So it was wow. definitely a culture shock to come off the river and be like, whoa, what's, what's going on here? Why are sales skyrocketing? Like, why is everybody all freaked out? So the Grand Canyon is definitely still a little place of solace for me where you're just in your own little world at the bottom of that big ditch. <laughs> wow, what, day, what day did you get out? You February 25th, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. Huh. Yeah, that's like kind yeah, of crazy, had, crazy timing. Yeah, we had like one last, Angie and I had one trip that we took to uh, Texas to visit my parents and relatives. And we got back and we basically, it was 28th of February or something. And we basically just started shutting it down from there. I mean, we SO is still open and everything and we're still working, but we're working much differently. Um, you said you made one comment in there that sales were skyrocketing. Yeah. So, so we, we launched on Amazon in May of last year and Amazon is its own beast, whatever. Yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. So we started to see our online sales at heatherschoice.com and our Amazon sales really start to spike about the second week of March. And it just continued to climb and climb and climb. And it was kind of wild there for about two weeks. So we actually finished March. Uh, it was our best month of sales we've ever had as a business. And most of it was through Amazon and then through our website. And I think people were just stocking up on dried food. So our business is, I, I, I want to say thriving, but at the same time, we're trying to sort of dance around 
uh, how this is going to impact us downstream. Kind of like I said, I, I don't know what's going to happen with future travel or tourism or more hunting trips for people. So even though we're fully operational and still producing five days a week, we're trying to anticipate, which is dumb. Nobody knows what's going to happen, but we're trying to figure out how this is going to impact our business in the coming months uh, now that people are hungered down at home. Can you, can you just give uh, our listeners a little, little background behind Heather's choice and what you make, I guess, and, and why sure. people are, people are buying all your stuff right now. Yeah, totally. So we are a line of dehydrated meals and snacks for backcountry adventures made in Anchorage, Alaska. I started the business in the summer of 2014, really trying to put good, healthy food in the packs of my friends and family and kind of like this sort of dirtbag pack rafting crowd that I was running in. And very, very quickly, my core customer base became backcountry big game hunters. And so now we're about five and a half years old and backcountry hunting has continued to be the bulk of our business. Uh, I have a few theories as to why that is, but yeah, we make just good, lightweight, packable food. All of our stuff is gluten, soy and dairy free. So we definitely have a little bit of a competitive edge with that. And then all of our products, obviously, you can just stash in your pantry or tuck away with your camping gear and then have it ready to go whenever you're headed out the front door. Um, and you said uh, you're still producing five days a week. I saw on uh, Instagram, I believe, that you just moved into a new, a new facility, a new uh, spot, I guess. Is that right? Yeah, we, so we have our original kitchen and people may not know this, but the Heather's Choice production kitchen is all of 1600 square feet. Like you would laugh if you saw how small our kitchen was and we were sharing that space. The front of the house was all finished goods, order fulfillment, customer service, a little baby retail space. And then the whole back of the kitchen has been full on production and we just started working with Sportsman's Warehouse and REI in the last year and their orders are pallet sized. And so all of a sudden we had the issue of saying, we don't literally have the floor space to put a pallet down and to wrap <laughs> it and to ship it and all of that. So thankfully we found a warehouse space that is literally a stone's throw away from our current kitchen. So we're expanding our production floor and then moving all of our finished goods and raw ingredients to a warehouse, basically back behind the kitchen. So it's very, it's very cowboy. Like we have connexes and like, it's just such a funny little scene that we've created here in Anchorage and trying to have a food business that ideally will be distributed nationwide from right here in Anchorage. So people no, are able to, you got to get No. Oh, okay. So, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I suspect you guys are doing business a lot differently than most other dehydrated brands, camping brands. Uh, like you're at, maybe. Maybe. Are yeah, they all making mean? it themselves? Well, well, I mean, are they making it themselves? You said you have your kitchen. You, I know you had your your uh, uh, GoFundMe stuff for packaging, for all those little things. You know, a lot of these food things seem to be made in similar places that specialize in making food, right? Like I, I doubt most of the say drink mixes like are made specifically in 
let's just take mountain ops and end up picking on them. Um, but I doubt that they have their mountain ops production facility where they mix up batches of mountain ops. Yeah, so you're correct in that. And so that's been a huge part of our journey. And typically, if you wanted to, say, start Kevin's Choice and you're like, I'm going to get into the dehydrated or freeze-dried food business or the energy bar business, typically what you would do is you would take your recipe to a co-packer and you would go to this great big facility and say, here's my recipe. I want to buy X number of hundreds of thousands of units. And then I'm going to send those units to a distribution center. And then I'm going to sell those units as fast as I can so I can buy, you know, another however many hundreds of thousands of units. And so that's typically the model with food businesses. And so I think that you're right. For us, we do things very differently. We tried the co-packing method in the early days of Heather's Choice, and it was an epic failure, an epic disaster on so many fronts. And so finally in 2017, we got freaking sick of it, just sick of trying to manage quality control from thousands of miles away, uh, sick of trying to manage our supply chain and all of that. And so we really kind of made the unpopular decision to move all of our manufacturing back to Alaska and to do everything under one roof. So that means that we do all of our dehydrating, our packaging, our labeling, sealing, dating, order fulfillment, customer service, like executive meetings, whatever you want to call it. Like we do literally everything in one space. And it was the best decision that we've ever made because we went from having these intense quality control issues to all of a sudden being really intimate with our production process. And our food has never been better. And yeah, it was expensive to get that facility set up. And yes, it is tiny, but oh my gosh, it's so gratifying right now to be providing jobs here in Anchorage, especially during this whole coronavirus thing. And to know that we can be really nimble. And if you ordered a hundred of something from us, we could go to the kitchen and make a hundred and ship them to you. <laughs> so it, it definitely bought us a lot of flexibility and kind of allowed us to stay a little bit smaller and a little bit scrappier. Uh, so yes, it's definitely more challenging. I'm sure that you guys deal with that in your facility too, of sourcing all of the fabric and zippers and managing production people and all of that. But I'm very, very grateful that that's the decision that we made and the direction we decided to go. Yeah, we ended up kind of the same way, right? We tried to, at time, at various times, to get other people to do stuff for us, um, like a lot of other outdoor brands. But we've ended up just doing really all of it in-house because it is what was required to get it the way we wanted um, mm -hmm. everything else was, was just kind of a compromise. Yeah, I know. It's such a bummer. And anytime people ask me like, when are you going to move the business or how long are you going to stay in Alaska? And it's like, man, I will stay in Alaska as long as I physically can with this business. And if we could keep it here forever, that would be my ideal scenario. Uh, it's just going to be, it's just harder. It's harder to do everything yourself, but I think it's more rewarding. Agreed. It, it is harder. It's also harder to do things on the more remote outposts. I mean, shipping is 
Well, shipping probably isn't an issue for you guys in Anchorage, right? Um, but shipping <laughs> generally, you know, you do better, you know, when you're in a real big city and stuff as well. So. Yeah, I can't imagine what you guys have to deal with being in the mountains of Colorado and dealing with shipping. I'm sure it's similar to the woes that we have. Yeah, 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 it is. I mean, I know that uh, I know that um, you guys are familiar with our area and stuff as well. So. Yep, um, absolutely. It's it's worth it. <laughs> so you just got off the Grand Canyon, right? And I was mm-hmm. just reading that the Grand Canyon, your first Grand Canyon trip might have might have kind of um, spurred the idea for the company. Is that right? Yeah, I was I was a longtime rafting guide here in Alaska. And when I graduated from college, I wrapped up my last season guiding out of Girdwood. And there was somebody that I worked with that said, oh, I'm going on a Grand Canyon trip. And I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean you're going on a Grand Canyon trip in the middle of winter? Like, that sounds amazing. And so I, I weaseled my way onto a 20-some-odd-day Grand Canyon rafting trip launching in December of 2010. And when I was getting ready for that trip, I saw that the outfitter had a fully put together menu for 16 people for these 25 days that we were gone. And there was a lot of those foods that I just, I just didn't eat uh, and really kind of took it upon myself to create my own menu for that 25 days because I knew that I wanted to feel good. This was going to be the longest backcountry trip I'd ever done. I was, deathly terrified of how big the water was <laughs> and I was scared to be oaring a 3,000 pound 18 foot raft and just it was kind of a culmination of things for me where I just felt like the quality of food that I was bringing on the trip really really mattered and it was something that I could control and so I dehydrated about 50 pounds of food for that trip it probably took me three weeks to dehydrate everything from jerky to fruit leathers to full meals to breakfast whatever it was and everything I brought on the trip was freaking awesome and I ate like a queen (laughs) the whole time I was gone and so that really was the the birth of the idea of Heather's Choice and I still have the original little menu that I printed for myself from that trip and it's some of the some of the meals that were on that menu are now part of the Heather's Choice Adventure menu. So some of the recipes haven't changed since that first Grand Canyon trip, which is pretty cool. That's really cool. Um, And then how how about the name? The name I know is, uh, is fairly unique as well, right? Yes. So my mom is kind of the ultimate organic food geek like she's just a total mom and fed me really really good stuff as a kid and so she had teased the idea of starting a line of baby food called Heather's Choice when I was little because she would take 50 pound bags of Alaskan grown peas and puree them and that's what she would feed me and she never did so when it came time to you know kind of create my own line of food i just yanked the name from her and called it heather's choice (laughs) that's got to be like the ultimate compliment for a mom to be called uh she's she's a mom she's a mom's mom right like (laughs) oh my gosh yes mother mary she's the best i i definitely pulled 
the lottery card with uh, both my parents because my dad started the first microbrewery in Anchorage back in, you know, early 1990s. And so he always gives me a hard time that I, as a little kid, got to go to work with him every day at his warehouse and his production facility and got to see like bottles of beer going out the front door and there was forklifts and there was beer trucks and all of that. And so he just loves to make fun of me and is like, you're just trying to, you know, recreate what I created with your little food business here. (laughs) (laughs) He he said that. Sowed the seeds of your entrepreneurial spirit. Yep, definitely. So yeah, both my parents are unbelievably supportive in this whole journey and very, very proud and very grateful to have me still here in Anchorage. So I, I'm very, very, very lucky. When did you, when did you start uh, guiding, like rafting? I guess, have you, have his water sports kind of always been your thing? Yeah, so I grew up in in Bird Creek and Girdwood, which is just south of Anchorage. So I grew up as like a snowboard brat, just skiing, snowboarding, rock climbing, doing whatever. And then when I was headed off to college at Western Washington University, that summer before, our local rafting company was hiring. And so I had a group of friends that we all went and applied for this job and they put us into rafts and taught us how to row and that summer as I was learning how to row grass, I had a gentleman ride in my boat one day as a customer. And he was like, man, you should really try out for the rowing team when you get to Western. Like they're really, really good. And you'd probably do pretty well at this. And I had no concept of what he was talking about. I'm like, what the hell is rowing? And so then when I got to Western, I looked it up and was like, well, okay, there's an orientation happening this weekend. And I showed up to that orientation and they said, all right, so practice is at 5 a.m. on Saturday. <laughs> so you can carpool at 4.15 to make it out to Lake Samish. And for whatever reason, I, I showed up for it and fell in love with it and ended up rowing collegiately for four years. So I would row boats at Western all winter long, go home to Alaska and be in a raft all summer. So there was a good four years there that I was on the water year round and just absolutely loved it. Huh. And, and so the gentleman in your boat, did have, I mean, did he just, was he from Bellingham or did he just know, like, have you talked to him since? Like, that seems crazy that he's like, Hey, you should do this. And then you ended up doing it in, in Western Washington is really good, right? Like you won a couple of national championships. Yeah. So I, I never, Never saw that gentleman again, never heard from him. I think that he might have been a rowing coach for another school out in, like, who knows where. Sure. So, yeah, however, I don't think he has any idea that he planted that seed and that it ended up kind of changing the trajectory of my life. But when I got to Western, they had won two consecutive national championships as a D2 school. And when I graduated, we won our sixth consecutive national championship. And it's one of the hardest things that I've ever done. And also one of the most rewarding, there's a theme here. Uh, And rowing is definitely an interesting sport because it's not something that you can necessarily just go do. So I feel like I got really lucky that I ended up at Western. They were actively recruiting and I just so happened to fall in love with it and stuck with it. When Mm -hmm. I graduated, uh, there was only two seniors. 
so imagine like as a freshman, you show up and there's like 200 girls who show up for the team, right? They're eager, they're excited. And over the course of four years, we went from 200 freshmen down to two seniors from that class who had stuck with it. If that gives you any perspective on just how hellacious of a sport it is. (laughs) Wow. Wow. All all the practices were at 5 a.m., I suppose. Yep, 5 a.m. on Lake Samish, and we would row from 5 to 7, and then we didn't get spring break. So we would row for 10 days straight and row twice a day. So you definitely had to be pretty highly motivated to, to do that sport. But, gosh, it's, it's freaking fun. It's fun. It's cool to be up that early and to be on the lake and under the stars, and it's still dark, and it's just a really dynamic uh, experience. Well, those two things alone should uh, help call the college team, the uh, early <laughs> rising and, and, and the no spring break. I <laughs> those know, seriously. Are, yeah, those things usually don't go along very well with most college kids I know. <laughs> so yep, so totally. you also, we've chatted about pack rafting and stuff before. Um, and you mentioned earlier that you also pack rafted a fair amount. Um, ironically, we've done several podcasts which have dealt in a large part with pack rafting. John Wellfelt used to build his own rafts like in the 1980s and go do these rivers in western Alaska. Um, then we chatted with Ben Brochu and he shared his um, podcast with his friends or his hinterland outdoors crowd and they're like, oh my god, they're talking pack rafting on a podcast? And I don't consider myself an expert pack rafter by any means. In fact, I kind of suck. But you're obviously very, very good with water and stuff. So what are some of your favorite rivers and stuff that you've pack rafted on? Oh, that's a great question. Let's see. So I've taken my pack raft on a handful of actually Grand Canyon side trips. So this is something that people may not know that you can apply for backcountry permits in the Grand Canyon. And let's say hike in on uh the Bright Angel Trail, stay the night at Clear Creek, hike a few miles upriver, pack raft back to the Bright Angel Trail, and then come back out to the South Rim. So those have been some of my favorite trips where I've gotten to be back in the Grand Canyon, uh, but not, but without having to wait for, you know, a great big permit or anything. It's something you can do fairly easily if you apply for the permits a couple weeks in advance. I've even lucked out and gotten permits day of. So still more Grand Canyon stuff for sure. And then here in Alaska, we have just really easy trips that you can do literally out our back door. So out of Girdwood, you can go do the 20 mile, which is just a beautiful hike. It's probably eight or maybe eight, let's say it's eight miles to get to the put in on the river. And then you flow back out to the Seward Highway and you can either do that as an overnight or a day trip. So a lot of the trips that I've done aren't necessarily super long pack rafting trips, but just really fun and playful. There's one trip, Kevin, that you have to do uh, where you actually start on the Green River in Utah and you go around Horseshoe Bend and then hike out Horseshoe Canyon. Uh, I think it's referred to as the Labyrinth. And that was a four-day trip that Brad and I did a few years ago, and it's actually the the main logo for Heather's Choice is the topo map from that we did in Packrafts. 
Really? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a good trip, but you and I still need to plan an Escalante trip together. That would be a freaking riot. I know I would love to do another Escalante trip. We did that one. Me, Lee, and Bill did that two or three, two years ago. It was kind of dry. There was a lot of drag your boat stuff, but it's still, the scenery in there is just, it's awesome. And we didn't see anyone from, we saw no one else from, what is that, the Golden Cathedral until we were taken out. So probably Gosh. four or five days. Before, yeah. Yeah, Unfortunately, definitely some good desert trips. Yeah, unfortunately, Escalante had been staying open while some of these other smaller counties have been closing, right? And so I kind of had my eyes on Escalante that I was going to sneak over there for a few days. <laughs> and then a couple of days ago, they said that they were closing all the canyons of the Escalante um, and certain other areas. Now, you can still go into like Death Hollow and stuff, I believe, in the Death Hollow wilderness, but the main arm of the Escalante shouldn't be going in right now. Shoot. Yeah. Well, we'll have to put it on our schedule for next year. Cause that's definitely on my list of trips to go do anything desert related. I'm into it. <laughs> so are you a big yeah. fan? Are you a big fan of the desert because you live in Alaska? Is that like, like it's too, it's cold all the time. So you want to come here and get some sunshine? Uh, that's definitely part of it. I think another big part is that, because the Grand Canyon was one of the first places I cut my teeth as a backcountry enthusiast, it feels really safe, right? Like if you're here in Alaska and you want to go outside, you you'll get into the alders so quickly and you can't see two feet in front of your face a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Like it's just so thick. And then you go to the desert and it's just wide open spaces as far as the eye can see. And so, honestly, I think of the desert as being one of the safer environments that I can go play in. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I appreciate that as well, right? There, there's something beautiful about even the plain states where you can see forever. Yes, absolutely. So, you mentioned that earlier that your customer base is primarily hunters. You said you had a good idea why. So, what is, what is that? Well, we definitely got some really good coverage in the hunting community early on. So I'm forever indebted to people like Adam from the Journal of Mountain Hunting or Brian Call, Ryan Lampers. There's just been a handful of guys in this space that have been early adopters of Heather's Choice and have been very, very generous in promoting our products and promoting our brand. So I think that's one piece of it. I also think that when I developed the meals, what I saw was really lacking in other brands was that there wasn't a big emphasis and focus on high quality proteins. So you could go get a freeze dried meal with freeze dried chicken, but maybe it didn't have as much protein as I wanted per serving, or maybe it wasn't organic chicken or grass fed beef or wild caught salmon there's just a certain level and quality of food that I was looking for for my own backcountry trips. And so when we released the Heather's Choice menu and we had things like grass-fed bison and wild-caught sockeye salmon, I think people in the hunting community really appreciate that because they spend the bulk of their year, arguably, uh, preparing for these trips where they can go procure really good, healthy, quality meat. And so I think that was definitely one factor 
And then also because all the Heather's Choice products were originally designed for pack rafting trips, the, the packaging footprint is the smallest on the market. So everything is like arguably in the tiniest packaging that we could fit it in. And I think that hunters also appreciate that because they're very conscious of pack space. And so when they saw that a Heather's Choice meal took up half the space of a mountain house in their backpack, that was a pretty easy sell for them. Yeah, I would agree, actually, um, that it doesn't take up near the space and that, you know, being a hunter or fisherman myself, I certainly appreciate um, knowing that I have wild caught salmon in their freezer and especially with this. I hate to keep going back to this COVID thing, but it's hard to avoid it, right? At this point in time, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people that are like, whoa, there's, I don't have anything in the freezer. I talked to a friend in Dallas. He couldn't, there was no meat there. Um, our employees in Grand Junction, we bought 200 pounds of meat for them from a local butcher, butcher shop because there wasn't any there, there wasn't any meat in the stores in Grand Junction. Meanwhile, I mean, I look in my freezer and I'm like, I got salmon, I got halibut, I got rockfish, I got elk, I got deer, I got um, pheasants, I got, you know, all sorts of stuff on the menu. And I do think that hunters put a bigger priority on that, um, the quality of the food that they eat. Yeah, which I don't know. Unfortunately, I feel like I've had to sort of tell that story a lot, especially outside of the hunting community and explaining to other backcountry enthusiasts like, hey, you may not realize this, but this this hunting demographic is very health conscious there, especially with this whole movement of people considering themselves to be athletes or training like athletes to prepare for hunting season. And so that's been pretty cool for me to see because I was not a hunter when I started Heather's Choice and I've only been learning over the last five years really what all it entails and how difficult it is and how to process game meat and all of that. And it's a pretty freaking cool demographic of people to now be roped in with and to be learning from because they do, they care about food and that's kind of my favorite topic. So <laughs> <laughs> it's been really fun. <laughs> So, so you, yeah. uh, so you've recently started hunting then like in the last five years. Mm hmm. Yep. I went, so let's see my boyfriend, Brad, who I've mentioned a couple of times, he works with me in the business full time as well. And when him and I first started dating, he went hunting out in Prince William sound and brought home an animal. And I was like, all right, this is pretty cool. Cause no one, neither one of my parents hunt or my step parents. So it's all been very brand new to me. And so we went on a spring bear hunt in Cordova, what spring of 2018. And I was my first successful harvest and it was freaking cool. Like to go from being fearful of bears for probably the entirety of my growing up in Alaska to suddenly hunting them was a pretty awesome shift <laughs> for me. Cause I realized like <laughs> they don't want anything to do with you. Like there's, so in their own little world, like minding their own business, like you, you are lucky to find them. And so that's been really helpful for me to realize that being an active pursuit of something like a black bear makes them way less intimidating and scary because you realize that they don't want anything more to do with you than you do with them. 
Speaking of which, I saw a bear on my Escalante pack rafting trip right at the river, which oh, surprised really? the heck out of me. Yeah. That's cool. Was it yeah, a cinnamon uh, bear or like a full black bear? It was just a full-on black bear, kind of a small one. But I mean, I, I was just like, <laughs> it's such a desert. It's such a desert environment, right? I mean, so close to Lake Powell and stuff that I just, I just didn't think that they would be in some place that deserty when they're really relatively adjacent country that gets into the mountains relatively quickly. Yeah, that's incredible. We have a brand ambassador in Arizona that goes hunting for bears. And I can only imagine if he came up on a bear that was like eating prickly pear cactus and stuff like that. Like what a cool dynamic. Bears are just the, they're the funniest animals. I had no idea. But after getting to spend some time watching them, it was like, wow, these guys are freaking characters. They're so cool. <laughs> so how did you how did you choose bear as kind of that first hunt? Because it, it seems um, not typical, right? Like of someone's first hunt, maybe. It's been... Yeah, I wish I had an answer for you. I think, honestly, it was just, again, like this is the story of my life. Opportunities come up, and I say yes, and I go, and then it's life-changing, and <laughs> Very, very organic, and it's pretty cool. Uh, Our buddy Steve, who is really – he has a podcast, Alaskan Odysseys, and just a good friend of ours and a longtime supporter of our business. He was like, okay, if you want to, like, try hunting, like, let's go this spring. Let's take the ferry to Cordova. We'll spend three days just kind of kicking it. I think it was just a very approachable hunt. It wasn't like – hey, I have an idea. Let's hike 10 days back into the Alaskan wilderness and look for sheep and see how it goes. Like that wasn't necessarily going to set me up for success. But this trip, I think was just, I think it was just that. I think Steve was trying to help set me up for success, like high concentration of bears, uh, very like good conditions, kind of a fun dynamic trip because we had to take the ferry to get there and then take a raft down the river and, there was just kind of a lot of logistics to this trip and it really kind of helped me appreciate what all goes into uh, any sort of hunting expedition. <laughs> there's, there's a lot was to that consider. The, was that the Copper River you guys were on or? No, we were on the Eak River. So we uh, went to Cordova and then just took a little raft with an outboard motor down the Eak River and mm. there's so many bears. It's awesome. It's freaking awesome down there. There goes your honey hole. <laughs> yep. There, there, if you can get to Alaska, good luck. Yeah, yeah. After the 14-day quarantine, then we'll, uh, we'll go try to find it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Heather, your your newness to hunting is showing. You, do, you, you don't publicly tell um, the spots on a map because then you show up yep. and you'll be like, where did all these people come from? <laughs> Last yeah. time I was here, there was nobody here. <laughs> oh, now there's 40 people. Um, I know yeah, that's uh, the benefit of Alaska too. Is like if if you can get there. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any Do you have any hunts planned scheduled out for this year? Um, I know we're kind of in flux as far as what what could potentially happen for a lot of us, but. 
Yeah, so we got really fortunate. Brad pulled an antlerless moose tag on the 20 mile. So that same area I was talking about that we pack raft pretty frequently, we're going to be able to go do a moose trip up there this fall. And then we also have an ocean boat. So Kevin, when you come back to Alaska, you got to come fishing with us because we're able to go out of Whittier into Prince William Sound. And there's sick of blacktail, there's mountain goats, there's black bears, there's everything you could possibly want. So we're really oh. fortunate that we can go an hour and a half south of Anchorage and be on the water and kind of have the world at our fingertips as far as hunting and fishing opportunities go. That is awesome. That is awesome. Thanks for the invite. I'll gladly take you up on that. Yeah, especially when we're out there, like we'll drop shrimp pots and then go fish for rockfish and keep an eye out for critters. And it's pretty dang magical. So yeah, there's no shortage of opportunities up here and I'm uh, looking forward to getting more bears. I think bear meat is now one of my new favorites. It's freaking good. And I had no idea. I know we were talking to um, Brian Lampers and Mm -hmm. I was talking to Brian call not that long ago and, both of them say that they love canned bear and there's probably, of course there's, you know, around here, I've heard some people say like, Oh, bear was awful or whatever. I mean, I think there's some of it that is what that bear is. Eat. A lot of it is what that bear is eating. So we have a lot of bears, like a, a lot of town bears and just totally anyone who hunts bear around here just avoids any town bear or any area where there's a, a lot of elk gut piles and stuff like that. But I think if you get if you get them back in the wilderness, eating their natural stuff, that yeah, they're they're mostly delicious. Angie had a bear that was phenomenally good a few years ago too. Oh, nice! Yeah, I would like to definitely get more spring bears. But then also, it'd be really cool to find one in the high country that's just mowing on blueberries. I've heard about this. Uh, blueberry bear fat that's supposed to be pretty dang good. <laughs> My curiosity is yeah, peaked. <laughs> yeah, Lampers, Lampers mentioned that as well. That he that used to be one of his favorite things to do in Washington. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty fun. So yeah, it's it's helped me a lot with the business too to get to go on these trips and to understand a little bit better kind of what our customers are looking for in terms of just how strenuous of a trip it is, how important the food quality and the caloric density of the food that we're sending them with is, and just kind of how they're having this whole experience that it's probably cold, it's probably wet, it's probably shitty, they're probably working really hard. <laughs> so we have a, a duty to fill, which is to make sure we're sending them with the best quality food that we can and hopefully give them a little morale boost when they're out there working super hard. Now, back to your food, your ingredients, are you sourcing like wild sockeye from Alaska? Are you sourcing the bison from Alaska too? Or are you having to import some of that stuff from the lower 48 or from Canada? Yeah, it's a mixed bag. So we've been really fortunate that we've been able to source wild-caught Alaskan sockeye salmon. So we get that out of Deep Creek, Alaska right now. And then it's smoked in the nilchick, and then we receive it as frozen smoked fillets that we then dehydrate. So that's definitely one ingredient that we're super, super grateful to get from Alaska. We've also been able to source Alaskan grass-fed bison and grass-fed beef. 
uh, we're actually kind of exceeding the the supply of grass-fed bison here in Alaska. So we're exploring other opportunities to source it from out of state, unless you know anybody who wants to move to Alaska and start a bison ranch. <laughs> uh, there you go. There you go, Kevin. You got your spot. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, yeah, we... <laughs> I don't know if Kevin's a rancher. <laughs> yeah. That, that, so, there's too yeah. much commitment in the ranching. Yep, it's an everyday thing. So there's a handful of ingredients we can get from up here. There's a ton of ingredients that we can't. And so arguably, it would be better for us to not produce in Alaska because we'd be that much closer to the lower 48 and maybe closer to our ingredient sources. But my my long-term dream and the ideal scenario would be that Heather's Choice would grow to the point that we would have national distribution and that we would be making, producing, and selling enough products that we can start to positively inf- influence the Alaska food system. Because I'm sure you guys know this, if you know much about Alaska, our whole food system is very, very broken. I think it's about 95% of our food is imported Yet we have this incredible growing season, you know, basically starting April through September, October, where in some areas we have nearly 24 hours of daylight. We can grow a ton of food up here. However, what lacks is there might be people who are willing to grow the food, but maybe they don't have the demand or the outlet for it. And so for Heather's Choice to be acting as a a processor of these raw ingredients, we could potentially create more demand for Alaskan-grown vegetables or Alaskan-grown meats, things of that nature. So that's kind of my, like, back-of-my-mind long-term vision that I think would be a pretty cool legacy is to create a food manufacturing business here in Alaska that had the downstream effect of positively influencing our food system. Uh, Whether or not I'm going to be able to pull that off, I don't know. (laughs) But that would be a pretty cool outcome of this whole thing. No, I think you could say that the food supply is, this stuff is, what's happening right now is bringing out that the food supply is broken in a lot of places. Uh, yeah. Even, even like meat plants shutting down. Um, they're worried about farm workers. Um, how do you How do you produce this stuff during a pandemic? I mean, for instance, like say a meatpacking plant, I'm sure doesn't necessarily rely on, well, everyone's supposed to be six feet apart or more in distancing. Usually the, the way most of those kind of production line things work is how much they can get done in the smallest space instead right. of big space. Yep, absolutely. And so I I think that you're right that this whole pandemic is causing people to reflect on either their own food security or the food security of where they live. And I'm hopeful that we can somehow contribute. And I think that that's the feeling that we've had as we've been continuing to produce and ship food every day. It's like, wow, hopefully we're providing people with a little peace of mind that they have something shelf-stable that's healthy, that requires very little water and very little fuel to actually get something edible and hot and delicious on the table in no time. So it's, it's a crazy world that we're living in, and I think that food security is something that hopefully will be addressed out of this whole 
uh, pandemic. Right. I mean, we had Hal Herring on a few days ago, and he had brought up that he thought that food needed to be more local, you know, and closer mm-hmm. to its source there um, to create a more stable food supply. Yeah, I and would wholeheartedly Hal's agree. Went for, yeah. So now <clears throat> I'm sure you got the note that the back, you are on the board of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers as well. Uh, we mm-hmm. talked to Ryan Bussey yesterday as well. I'm sure you know him quite well. So I'm sure you, you're well aware of that uh, BHA round is going to go to a virtual rendezvous this year. So there's not yep. going to be really any in-person stuff. How do you feel about all that? I think it was the right decision. It was a pretty much unanimous vote from the board that that was the right thing to do. I know for BHA as an organization, that is a really important event. Uh, I would say that BHA Rendezvous is really one of the events that put Heather's Choice on the map in the hunting community. So it's always been an important event for us. And Mm -hmm. I also think that by doing this, virtually and kind of having this nudge to bring more content online, it's going to be a huge service to the BHA membership as a whole. And I think that it provides a lot of opportunity for us as uh, corporate partners of BHA to provide more video content and to kind of get in front of people in their own homes and create some community, even though we're not all going to get to be there in person because I can also attest to the fact that there's a lot of people who aren't able to make the trip out for BHA rendezvous who really feel like they're missing out, missing out on that freaking party of like the best party of the year. And so hopefully having an online digital presence, uh, it's going to rope more people in and they're going to feel like they really get to participate in rendezvous because it is a freaking good time. I love that. Rendezvous, rendezvous without the hangovers. Yes, maybe. I don't know. I think people can do plenty of drinking in their own homes. <laughs> I mean, th- this isn't the first time you and I have been on a podcast together. The last time, uh, the, first, <laughs> the first time, uh, to my knowledge, I think that that podcast, got, I think it got dumped and thrown and trashed somewhere in the trash. I hope it did because that was a backcountry hunter's rendezvous podcast that really somehow i don't know you invited me over you said hey we're going to podcast or this and next thing i know like lee and i are leaving at like three in the morning and the taxi driver's like how do we get to your place and we're like we don't freaking know we're (laughs) drunk as hell and not even from here yeah, I don't know what the deal is with uh, with us and our podcast friends. So Abe, who we recorded that podcast with, um, I have recorded multiple four-hour epics with him, and wow. there's always drinks involved. So Abe now is our production manager at Heather's Choice from Alaska DIY. So all of our, oh, really? our weekly team meetings, yep, we bring cocktails, and we sit down, and we talk business. It's super fun. <laughs> <laughs> do, do they turn into four-hour epic meetings? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they're yeah. four-hour meetings. We get all kinds of shit done. Nice. <laughs> it sounds like people need to avoid Abe if they don't want to wake up with a hangover. <laughs> yeah, Abe is bad news. Abe and our buddy Steve from Alaskan Odysseys, the two of them together, it's like, oh, God, we're never going to make it out of here alive. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, we've got a good crew up here in Alaska. That's for sure. 
Yeah. Um, so I, well, I was just saying we're getting getting close to an hour. We don't uh, yeah. we don't have to roll on for four hours to take up all your entire day. Um, <laughs> uh, unless unless you guys want to go get a beer or something. Yeah, we can, yeah, let's get a beer and come on back. Let's oh. get a beer and come on back. Um, no, I think... Uh, I think we're good. Um, you have anything you want to add, uh, Heather or Dennis? Uh, I'll just hop in here real quick, Kevin, and just say thank you for, for your continued support. I know you've been a longtime customer and Heather's Choice supporter, and I think that you understand uh, the complexity and the challenges of having your own manufacturing business and brand. So I just appreciate having someone like you who's also in the trenches with us and continues to support us while we, you know, run into things at full speed and turn around and go the other direction and <laughs> just kind of continue to ping pong our way through this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's just kind of like route finding in the weirdest mountain setting is just kind of, it's like, you don't really know where you're going. You just know that you kind of want to head off in this direction and you've got to be flexible as to how you get there. And there's always, something entertaining or different that is going to need to be dealt with. But uh, no, you guys have done an awesome job and I'm glad to see you guys really uh, having the success you are. Yeah. Thank you. We're, we're very, very, very well supported and very excited about what's to come. Even, even considering the current, you know, economic climate that we're in, I am very, very grateful to be in the food industry and grateful to have the hunting community who's, continuing to rally behind us. It's pretty freaking cool. Um, and, and Heather, where, where, where would you send people? Is it heatherschoice.com? Um, Amazon. I know you said REI just started picking up your stuff. Like where, where can people find it? Yeah. So heatherschoice.com is a definitely good first stop. We do ship via Amazon prime. So if people have Amazon prime and shop that way, it's a good place to find us. We are in Sportsman's Warehouse and REI in the Western States, and that should be launching. They should have the full line of meals and snacks come May of 2020. Woohoo. And, uh, yeah, definitely come hang out with us on Instagram. I run all of our social media, so if you want to reach me or have questions, you can just shoot me a message there. And if you come to Alaska come visit our kitchen. We're about a mile from the Anchorage airport and we always like showing off our big commercial dehydrators and telling people a little bit more about our business and what we do. Could we stash a car at your airport? Uh, or at your <laughs> yes. business? <laughs> yes. We could. Yep. You can park it with us so long as I can use it as a delivery vehicle while you're gone. <laughs> that sounds like a good deal. <laughs> that might be where my Tundra gets repurposed when I get a new Perfect. car, my old Tundra. So, okay, awesome. Well, thank cool. you for coming on. Yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks for coming you guys. on. Take care. Take care. Right.